With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network. i got to tell you something. The crazy ideas coming out of one member of the legislature. Her name is Amy Whalen. I would do just about anything to get Representative Whalen from Kirkland, a Democrat, to come on this show and talk about some of these crazy ideas. It seems like every other week there's another crazy bill that she's put forward, and in this case... Listen to this idea. Should we drop the citizenship requirements for you to get a professional license to do work in Washington State? And I would say no. You shouldn't. You should drop the licensing requirements for an awful lot of professions in every state in America, including Oregon, including Washington, and including Idaho. But dropping it only for illegal aliens? Wait till you hear the rest of this, because it is absolutely nuts. First, welcome to Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network. We've got 26 stations that take this program out to every corner of the Northwest. And what we endeavor, my producers and I endeavor to do, is serve the needs of the Pacific Northwest. Now, if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, and I may get a few naysayers today, just call 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. It's spelled O-N the way God intended, but you can spell it E-N if you like. You can also vote in our Twitter poll or X poll. We've actually made it the same as this crazy idea out of Representative Amy Whalen. Should we drop citizenship requirements for professional licenses? In particular, this has to do with Washington State, but I wouldn't put it past the Democrats in Oregon to try, try the same kind of thing. You can find the poll on X at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. It's always brought to you by in Ultimate Truck Services, if you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Yesterday, I asked you in the X poll, will Biden declare war first 
on Texas or Iran. I voted Texas, so did 78% of you. 22% of you thought, no, Joe Biden will go to war in Iran. And in fact, later on, I'm going to talk about the fact that the president, at long last, after 165 attacks on American service members and military ships and everything else, after 165 attacks, Joe Biden said today, that he has figured out what he's going to do. Now, he's not going to share that with us just yet, but apparently he's decided to give the bad guys a heads up. He's going to do something about the fact that we now have three service members who were killed in Jordan over the weekend, about two dozen service members who are badly hurt in that attack who were using a drone in Jordan. And then you've had another 164 attacks on other military assets that the United States has in the Middle East region. But let me get back to this crazy idea about professional licenses. Now, do I think that all of the states and the federal government do far too much licensing to begin with? I do. I think they should dramatically reduce the number of licenses that are required for people to do their jobs. Thank God I've got the First Amendment. I don't have to have a license to do my job. But too many of you do. I mean, the number of professional licenses used to be relatively limited. You had to have a license to be a lawyer or a doctor, uh, maybe an engineer. You had to have some official paperwork for that. But for most other things, you didn't have to have a professional license. The number of professional licenses in most states, and especially in liberal blue states like Oregon and Washington, has now gone well past 100. And I can still remember a few years ago when we talked about a case involving a young lady. It was a, a young black lady, and she braided hair for people. And she knew the kinds of braids in particular that her clients wanted. And she wanted to be able to braid hair. Do you know you have to have a state license to be able to braid hair? They told her, you've got to go to, uh, you know, cosmetics or beautician school, whatever they call it today. It's haircutting school. My stepdaughter's done it. Um, so you have to have a professional license. And believe me, the minimal license for that, I think, is 800 hours at about 10 bucks an hour. So about eight grand. If you want to get the full on license that involves hair and cosmetics and nails and the whole Marianne, it's going to cost you around $20,000, if not more. And you got to spend about 14 months getting that license, which means you won't be able to work much of a job in the meantime. So. Imagine telling somebody, oh, that's great, you know how to cut hair. Too bad. You have to have a state license. Oh, all you want to do is braid hair? You still have to have a state license to do that. Now, I would applaud if Democrat Representative Amy Whalen of Kirkland actually came out and said, we should cut back on the total number of professions for which a license is required. Now, that doesn't sound like a Democrat idea. But in this case, she's not asking that People who live in this country legally are allowed some kind of latitude when it comes to licenses. She's only asking for that privilege for illegal aliens. And she's actually introduced a bill. She says we should change the law. I'll quote her directly. It just occurs to me in my regular life that our immigration system is broken. Well, I got news for Amy Whalen of Kirkland. Immigration is not the province of the state legislature. That is the province of the federal government.
And if you say it's broken because we don't simply allow anybody who wants to to walk across the border and set up shop and work a job in America, that's not what I consider broken. We allow more than one million people every year to legally immigrate to the United States of America. And once they're here, if they keep their nose clean, they work a job, they stay self-sufficient, after five years, they can become a citizen. But now she's introduced House Bill 1889. Now, this is Amy Whalen. You've asked that I identify the people behind the bills. It would strike the requirement that applicants for a professional license be U.S. citizens, allowing for use of what's known as an ITIN number. I've run into these for decades. An ITIN number, individual taxpayer ID number, instead of a social security number. Do you know what you know for a fact if somebody is using an ITIN? I can't legally get an ITIN because I'm an American citizen and I have a social security number. If you also have a social security number, it is illegal for you to get an ITIN. So what you know immediately, if somebody is using an ITIN number is, number one, they're here from a foreign country. Number two, they're not here legally. And how do I know that? Because if you're here legally, you have a green card that gives you permission to work any kind of job, let alone one that requires a license. So you would have no need to get an I-10. And in fact, as somebody who is a green card holder has a social security number, it's illegal for you to get an I-10 number. So all of the people she's advocating for as a representative from Kirkland, Washington, is people who are in the country illegally. And she wants it to make it easier for them to get a job. She says, we have so many wonderful people. They may miss out on the chance to work because there's an immigration status qualifier that's really not relevant in whether or not they're checked out to do the job. Fact is, if they're here illegally, they can't work at any job, Representative Whalen. And by the way, the invitation to come on the show is open any day you want to come on and answer some tough questions. Back in a moment, it's Tuesday, and it's the Radio Northwest Network. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Ever wonder what a vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show. 
That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, your body will right. You know you got a right to sit. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. Have you ever had a friend with major problems who talked endlessly about solving those problems and then always refused to do the one thing that would actually fix them? A thousand people died of fentanyl overdose in Governor Tina Kotek's first year in office last year. That's almost four times the number of deaths five years ago. That's a problem and it's getting worse. We're on track to see last year's record broken with about a 30% increase forecast this year. The problem is Measure 110, passed by the voters. It legalized deadly street drugs and the body bags have been piling up ever since. Kotech refuses to demand that the legislature reverse that mistake because that would actually fix the problem. Measure 110 directs the police to write tickets and offer treatment to add if they simply make a phone call. Well, the cops went out and they wrote 6,000 tickets. And only 500 addicts, less than 10%, even made the phone call. And only 50 of them actually accepted the help that was offered. By the way, the money to pay for that help has been shoveled out in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm not exaggerating. That is 50 people helped against the state's estimated 400,000 drug addicts. Well, today, Governor Kotek held a press conference, one of those dog and pony shows, where she announced a 90-day fentanyl emergency. And if you say, well, what does that do? And I say, well, exactly nothing. It's announcing an emergency. It says the state and the city and the county will all coordinate with one another. So they'll be coordinating to do the same thing they've been doing for the last two years while people have been dying. She and other elected officials clutch their pearls and they wring their hands in anguish over the overdose deaths. Well, tonight's TV news will almost certainly display the governor's distress, but it won't actually change the situation one little bit. Instead, the addicts will keep on dying. The drug cartels will keep on making millions. And nonprofit organizations, they are good donors to Democrat candidates like Tina Kotek. Those nonprofits will get hundreds of millions of your tax dollars for not fi fixing the problem. Now, why in the world would Tina Kotek, why, why would she in any one in their right mind fix a problem when hundreds of millions of dollars go off to your political allies in the NGO crowd and they, of course, make donations at campaign time? Our question of the day, just exactly what's going to happen, the Biden administration today had to report numbers that they have now reached, we have now reached in America, the lowest rate of union membership in American history. And they're trying to put a good spin on it. That's what they try to do. The fact is union membership is declining because workers don't see the value in sending their hard-earned checks to labor leaders who get rich off the backs of working people. So guess what they do instead? Under the Janus decision, any government worker who's in a union can quit and stop paying money to the union Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of union members have done that in the years since the Janus decision, and now the unions have hit rock bottom, and it serves them right. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. 
Find out right now. I'm going to give today's Daily Grill on the recommendation of State Representative Jeff Helfrich of Oregon. You've heard him on the show recently. He called out the Oregon Health Authority, and what did they do? Well, they went out and they studied the idea and said, what if we jacked up the taxes on booze and beer and wine? Would that actually reduce the amount of booze and beer and wine that gets abused? Well, it turns out the study did not show the result that the Oregon Health Authority wanted. So as Helfrich points out, the Health Authority buried a report that shows only tiny changes in drinking habits by increasing beverage taxes. As he put it, there is no universe in which the OHA should have hidden this report from the public. Their job is to make an informed recommendation to the legislature about how best to pursue have better health outcomes for Oregonians while weighing the economic impact. As he points out, Cute little statements about how a 2% reduction is potentially huge do not excuse what might what might be one of the most brazen attempts at a cash grab by a government agency. And I want to know who made the decision not to release the study. Further, he says, OHA's willingness to cripple our beer, wine, and spirits and hospitality industries while defrauding the legislature is a disgrace. And he says... It may seem like we're making a mountain out of a molehill, but this is the same agency that is responsible for collecting the data regarding drug use and treatment under Measure 110 initiatives, data that we're told doesn't exist, is too hard to collect, or simply can't be used. And are they telling the truth about that? Well, I'd leave it to you. I don't believe the OHA any day of the week. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. John Harreth writes in, Lars... I'm sure you're as sick as I am regarding Iran's terrorist activities. Where can we find a spine for Joe Biden? Is he afraid that if we take direct action against Iran, Russia is likely to get involved? I am making an assumption, but aren't the arms provided to terrorists largely coming from Russia? Isn't the real reason for the so-called pro-Palestinian movement to oust Israel out of the region? Yes, it is. Once the Jewish contingent is removed from the region, it would be open to full-fledged communism domination of the region and control of the region's oil fields. Harsh direct action needs to take place against Iran. If they bestowed the moniker of the great Satan on America, maybe it's time to show them what the great Satan can accomplish when pressed. Signed, John. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Let's go first to Matt, listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Matt, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, howdy, howdy, Lars. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Hey, you. Um, at the beginning of the show, you were talking about licenses and certifications? Yes. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I'm an IT specialist for a mega hobby, and um, I, uh, it, it, you know, things change so so rapidly in that field. Like, I have a friend of mine who spent 20k on a Microsoft certified systems engineer's seven tests and two Cisco certifications exam and, and training, and, and within a year that would became obsolete because of Wi-Fi, USB, and daisy chaining, and also the fact that Telnet and Virtue are now obsolete too. Okay, but hold on. We're talking about state-issued licenses, Matt. For example, if I wanted to be a plumber, I can't just hang out a yeah. shingle and start, even if I know the trade, and I don't, but if I, even if I wanted to, I couldn't without a state license. Are we talking about your friend who got a state license or he got certification from a private company saying you know your stuff when it comes to Microsoft? Um, uh, he, he got it from a private outfit. Yeah, so we're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that if you want to cut hair, 
you need a state license. Oh, if you want to be a oh, contractor, yeah. you need to be a, you need to have a state license. If you want to do almost anything, you have to have a state license. And we've got Amy Whalen, this Democrat rep from from Kirkland, who says we should make special exceptions for illegal aliens, while she's not at all proposing that American citizens get a break from some of the crazy licensing requirements of the state. So she's happy to see her own constituents get strung up by the government saying you can't do that without a license, while at the same time she's proposing but we ought to give a special break to those who are illegally in America who aren't even allowed to work under the law. You're listening to the Lars Larson the Show Lars the Radio Larson Northwest Show. Network. Someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll bet you've seen the same videos that I have when parents, men and women, show up at a local school board meeting. And they stand up to object to things that are being done to their kids. I mean, nonsense that shoved down the throats of kids. And I'll tell you exactly what I mean by that. When a teacher tells a classroom full of kids, if you have black or brown skin, you are a victim. And you are a victim of everybody with white skin, maybe the teacher too, certainly your other classmates, and everybody else in society. That's described as DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and critical race theory. Or maybe your kids are being told by their teacher um, there are more than two genders. There may be as many as 65, and there aren't just boys and girls and men and women, and men can become women, and women can become men, and there can be pregnant men. Uh, and, and all of this stuff, if parents show up to object to this, oftentimes they're shut down and sometimes shut down rather forcefully. So I thought we'd talk to Dean McGee about that, who's education freedom attorney at the Liberty Justice System. Dean, welcome to the program. Thank you, Lars. Happy to be here. So have I misdescribed any of that? No, I think you got it right, though. It's, uh, it's with the Liberty Justice Center. We're a nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest litigation firm, and and we do issues of economic liberty, private property rights, free speech, and educational freedom. So tell me about this the case involving Glenda Shearer. She's a mother of two, and what else should we know about her? Glenda Shearer is a mother of two uh, whose children attend uh, or attended the Gladstone School District in Oregon. And like many parents, around March of 2020, Glenda was sort of thrust into the role of advocate for her children and for education more generally when they shut down schools. And, and I think many of us parents, especially many of us parents in blue states, uh, really got concerned as the, the longer these lockdowns went on, we saw the damage to kids was not worth whatever marginal benefit they were claiming from school shutdowns. So Glenda started speaking up. And as soon as she started speaking up, uh, she tells the story of the school systematically trying to shut down her speech. It started with social media, where other parents were allowed to post freely in a group designed to assist parents dealing with the difficulties of remote learning. But when Glenda would raise concerns, they actually put her on what's called post-approval, essentially saying, you're not allowed to speak in this forum 
until a school administrator has approved your post. Now, let me make it clear. You didn't mention Facebook, but now called Meta. This is where the posts were, was on a Facebook, what we then called a Facebook page. Um, was this the school district's Facebook page? How did they have the power to tell her you can't post till we sign off on what you wrote? The short answer is under the First Amendment, they don't have that power. Under, you know, Meta's platform, they do. And that's where that's where we are stepping in. Yeah, uh, all I was also, trying to make clear, Dean, was this wasn't a Facebook page put up by a parent and then other parents jumped, joined in. This was a Facebook page or meta page that was put up by the school district for the use of parents to communicate to each other, presumably on contentious issues as well as others. The school district, the government, put this Facebook page up and said anybody can po post and then they tell this one woman but we will sign off on whether or not your posts are allowed or not and as you point out that's in direct violation of the first amendment isn't it yeah, you you've got that exactly right so tell me this um who at the school district thought this was all right? Because even school, even the smallest school districts out there have lawyers. And I would imagine that if they ran it past their lawyer, uh, or if their lawyer became aware of what they were doing, he or she would have said, listen, we're a government agency. We can't tell citizens what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say, can we? Well, you would think so, right? And if certainly if I were representing the school district, I would have told them exactly that. But we're seeing this happen, you know, as you mentioned in your introduction, this is not a problem unique to Glenda Shear. Uh, in, in fact, there was a Ninth Circuit decision in uh, just last year that, um, that addressed these same issues of the school board blocking parents who were critical of them on social media. And the Ninth Circuit correctly held that that was a violation of the First Amendment. And we're going to see the Supreme Court take on that issue this term uh, directly addressing this case called Garnier versus O'Connor. Now, in that case, Dean, is there, I mean, to go to the Supreme Court, you have to have somebody who lost and somebody who won, and the side that lost has to appeal it. Does that mean the school district, having been told no, I'm frequently critical of the Ninth Circus Court, as my audience knows, that's okay, you may not be as critical as I am, but I think they're, they can be kind of a crazy court. But does that mean some school district in that case is going to the Supreme Court saying, we're going to prove that government schools have the right to shut down free speech? Is that really what they're going after? Effectively, yes. Wow. I mean, I can't imagine the lawyers they'd hire who'd say, oh, yeah, this one's going to be easy. We'll go to the Supreme Court and see if they'll strike down the First Amendment in this case, because that's effectively what they're asking for, isn't it? Yes, and, and, they're, and they're not alone. Uh, just recently in the 11th Circuit, in a, in a case brought by Moms for Liberty and the Institute for Free Speech is re uh, representing them, uh, those parents and that organization challenging very similar treatment to the treatment that Glenda received, specifically the policy that effectively says when you show up at a school board, you're not allowed to say anything mean about anyone who works at the school, about any of the board members, <laughs> and you're not even allowed to say the name or the title, in Glenda's case, of school employees if you're being critical of them. And so it's not just Glenda's case. This is happening in a case taken up by Moms for Liberty and the Institute for Free Speech in the 11th Circuit as well. And by the way, one of her objections wasn't just about the, you know, the shutdowns and all that. 
She was concerned about an employee who was being investigated for abusing her son. That sounds like a legitimate issue. Now, maybe the employee did that, maybe they didn't, but she wanted to bring this to the school board's attention. You'd think the school board would be thanking her for that, wouldn't they? Shouldn't they? You'd, you'd think so. And, and, and it's a really important point because, of course, not that it really makes a difference under the First Amendment. But this isn't even a case about those hot-button cultural issues that you brought up in your introduction. This is a case, this is a woman really advocating for her children and for the betterment of education in the district, and yet this is the treatment she's receiving. And, uh, you know, I, I have to credit uh, Alan Gura of the Free Speech Institute. He, he coined these types of policies, which, again, are not limited to Gladstone, as the the Voldemort rule, he who must not be named from the from the <laughs> Harry Potter books, and and that's exactly and that's exactly how they're they're treating themselves. That is, the boards and the districts are trying to prohibit criticism of them by name or by title. Now, I suppose if she stood up and actually defamed somebody, stood up and said, "Why he's a convicted pedophile," that's a factual statement, as opposed to "I think that man abused my son." She's allowed that opinion, and the school district doesn't even really have to worry that there's defamation involved, do they? That's exactly right. And, and the courts that have grappled with these issues and come out the right way have addressed, have addressed those issues exactly, exactly in that manner. The other, the other issue here is that Gladstone has implemented what we would call a system of prior restraint, meaning the government attempting to shut down speech before it's even attempted before it's even uttered. So one of the items we're complaining about here is that the district requires uh, parents or anyone wishing to speak at a public meeting to submit not only their intent to speak in advance, but their specific comment. Unbelievable. That's Dean McGee. He's an attorney, an education freedom attorney at the Liberty Justice Center. Back in just a moment. Glad to get your calls. And Dean, thank you very much. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. A 
message from Lars. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Who's next? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to tell you about this. I mentioned in the commentary that Governor Tina Kotek was holding a dog and pony show press conference at which she and Mayor Feckless Ted Wheeler of Portland and County Chair Jessica Vega Peterson uh, were declaring a fentanyl state of emergency. And if you wondered, like I did, well, what the heck is that? They say the tri-government order seeks to synchronize city, state, and county responses to public health and safety during this crisis. So they've announced a 90-day fentanyl crisis. And here's the only thing you can really find that describes, well, how does this change anything? They say over the next 90 days, government leaders say they will move to slash bureaucratic red tape. I'll believe that when I see it. Pour additional resources into Portland. Uh, I will believe that because they love to spend money. The aim, they said, is to expand access to addiction treatment and social services, reduce fatal overdoses, and crack down on illegal activity. Well, the uh, I told you before, there are almost 400,000 fentanyl addicts in Oregon, probably about double that number in Washington State. And you say, okay, so what'd you do about it? Well, they, the cops wrote uh, over 6,000 tickets because that's all you get if you get caught with hard drugs now. It's no longer a crime. It's a violation. Think of violations like a speeding ticket. Uh, so they write a ticket. They wrote that 6,000 times. Of those 6,000, all of them were told you'll be forgiven the $100 fine if you just call this phone number. Of the 6,000, less than 10% actually called the number, and less than 10% of that actually got into treatment. About 50 people out of the state's 400,000 or so addicts, and they say, we're going to provide more treatment. You can't get the people into treatment. In any case, I thought I'd update you on what Governor Kotek has done. We'll probably find more about find out more about it tonight. Let's go to the phone. Cindy's on the line. Hey, Cindy, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Okay, hey, Cindy. Right. Yeah, I'm right here. Hang on. <laughs> no, I can't okay. hang on, Cindy. I'm going to go to number two. Let's go to John. Hey, John, thanks for the call from Tacoma, and thanks for listening on KVI and the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I sent an email over to your, your guy there on uh, House Bill 1905. It's being proposed in the Washington legislature. More crazy ideas from um, Democrats? Oh, you know it. And this one seems to be flying under the radar. It does have a public hearing on February 1st, I guess that's Thursday. Makes it illegal to discriminate against illegal aliens. Discriminate uh, in, in employment or, or what? Yeah, in employment. In employment. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Which seems a big contradiction because it's illegal to hire <laughs> an illegal alien. So how do you get square that with, on the other hand, it's illegal to discriminate against an illegal alien? It doesn't make any sense at all. And by the way, I've had people saying more recently, will you please tell us who's behind this? Uh, it was sponsored by uh, Representatives uh, Mina, Sen, Barry, Cortez, Morgan, Ortiz, Self, and a, and a list of other cast of characters. Uh, that does sound yeah, kind of crazy. So uh, that if you discriminate in hiring against a protected class, that it would allow it would include illegal aliens as a protected class. That's what it says, and I sent you the excerpt straight out of the bill, so it's not my interpretation. You can read it straight in the bill. 
Well, did you send it to me to talk at LarsLarson.com? Yes, I did. And I told okay, I'll, I'll take a look at it, John. Let me see if I can go back to Cindy. Hey, Cindy, are you there this time? Uh, it sounds like apparently not. Cindy, oh, well. Let's go to Everett and talk to Katrina. Hey, Katrina, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And Joel, would you mind checking on Cindy and see what happened to her? Katrina, what's on your mind today? Hi. Um, so I'm a drug addict in recovery. I have six years. Congrats. Thank you. The only way that I was going to get clean was if something happened to me where either CPS got involved or I was offered jail or rehab. I wasn't going to choose to get clean on my own because I couldn't make that decision. Um, and I couldn't make that decision because I didn't think anything I was doing was wrong. All the people around me were doing it, too. That's a but very good point. I think. I thank God that I got clean. Uh, CPS got involved. They took my kids away, and I said, wait a minute. I thought I wasn't doing anything wrong. Everybody else was doing drugs. But wow. I got clean, and now I'm a housing case manager, and I help homeless people get off the streets. And one thing that I've been seeing is that people are on this methadone program for 10 years, and they're abusing it. It's just terrible. And I'm getting a bunch of tickets. That's not going to do anything. That's not going to make people want to get clean or make a phone call. I agree it's with you. And by the way, methadone, for people who don't know, and Katrina, you correct me if I'm wrong, methadone is supposed to be, it takes the place of heroin, it takes away some of the cravings, and then you, and then they wean you off the methadone. But sometimes people get on it and they just stay on it indefinitely, right? Right. And that causes problems because then they're reliable on it. And I don't see them ever being able to make much of their life because they've always got this one thing where they are dependent on methadone. They have to go to the methadone clinic every day, and they're surrounded by other people that are on it that might be using other drugs. And it's also correct to say, isn't it, Katrina, that if you're on methadone, you can still take heroin on top of that and get high, can't you? Depends on the program, um, but you're probably right. I know that some programs UA. Most programs don't UA unless you give them a cause to UA you for it. Katrina, congratulations on your surprise. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lurch.
Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. we got to talk about diversity and... I know you're hearing diversity almost everywhere, but imagine this. Diversity in farming and agriculture. And guess what? Your tax dollars are being used to try to promote a more diverse workforce in agriculture. And Matt Lamb has all the details. He's associate editor with the College Fix, and he joins me now. Matt, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So tell me about the $1 million in federal taxpayer money that's going to a university so that they can study ways to create what they call, uh, I'm not calling it that, they're calling it, multicultural scholars program to promote a more diverse workforce and agriculture. What's that all about? So at the collegefix.com, we reported on a $1 million federal grant that went to Oregon State University for a, quote, diverse work workforce. Uh, this money is divided among three programs, including one called the Multicultural Scholars Program that very clearly from its language is not open to white students. Um, the only people who can get the scholarships are students who participate in, quote, minorities in agriculture, natural resources, and related sciences, which I think is supposed to spell out minors in, in a way. And then the other one is uh, if you if you participate in Society for Advancing Chicanos and Native Americans in Science. So only non-white students are able to get these scholarships. Um, and, and the university refused to give us any comment on, on the scholarships. That can't be legal, can it? Well, that's what we asked uh, the university because we pointed out that Title VI prohibits Title VI of the Civil Rights Act prohibits discrimination on the basis of race when universities receive federal funds, which obviously OSU does because they were announcing this this federal grant. Um, and Rob Odom, who's the comms director, said, some, said, I'm sorry to let you know, we will not have any comment for your story. I don't know what he does all day because his job is to answer questions from the media. Um, and we specifically said, you know, how are you going to ensure this doesn't violate the law because it sure certainly seems like it does. Um, we tried to get answers from Dean Ricardo Mata Gonzalez, and he actually told us that he's not allowed to answer questions, that we have to go through uh, the media director who didn't answer our questions. Now, i, I got to imagine the simple way to test this, I would think, would be if some conservative student, if you can actually find a conservative <clears throat> student on a public, on a, a government-run uh, college campus, because that school is a government-run operation, uh, that if, if a white student were to apply for the, you know, for the uh, scholarships under this and say, okay, here's who I am, uh, can I have the scholarship? Now, if they're turned down, I suspect they're going to be turned down because of their skin color which, as you point out, is illegal under federal and state law and every other kind of rule out there, isn't it? Absolutely. We, we did talk to one student who's in a different college. She's in the College of Forestry. Um, and, and, you know, she mentioned that, you know, she comes from a working-class family. Um, you know, she has problems, too. And while she has no problem, you know, trying to, uh, you know, help racial minorities, 
she doesn't understand why it has to be so race-specific, why the university can't just focus on helping all students without, you know, sort of compartmentalizing people. Well, and, and did, well, it'd be nice to know if the school was willing to say, why is it important to have a more diverse workforce? I mean, I can think of a number of professions. Nursing is one of them where nursing is 90% female and only 10% male. And I don't hear about any scholarships to say, hey, let's get more men involved in nursing uh, because we don't have nearly enough of them because it's about personal choice about what you want to work in and what you don't want to work in, isn't it? Absolutely. The The best thing the university can do um, to to you know train a skilled workforce they don't really they shouldn't really worry about a diverse workforce it's just to put out the best programs possible and to stay on top of industry trends and then let the students come that that are interested in it and if they're all asian women great if uh, it's a mixture of, of white guys and, and black women and you know hispanic males that's fine it shouldn't be based off race it should just base, be based off interest in the program because ultimately that's what you want. You don't want someone working in a field just because they were pushed into it to meet a quota. You want them working uh, in, in a field, pun intended, uh, because they, they have an actual interest in that in that subject. I couldn't agree with you more. Matt, thanks for doing this for the College Fix, and we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Very good. That's uh, Matt Lamb, uh, who's with the College Fix. Let me go to Cindy now. Cindy, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey Lars, how are you doing? I'm doing well. What's well, up? I was listening. I was listening to your um, program today during my daycare's nap time, and I was listening to about um, the licensing issues with um, different um, jobs that people have, and yep. so it just, it just sparked a light in me because um, we have a kind of a bad thing going on. It's actually a daycare um, epidemic of no daycares, and so what's going on is that. Um, and I've been in this business almost 30 years. I'm still learning every day. I love my job. And it takes a lot to have a license for a home and a center. I have a licensed home. And so, and you go by all the rules, regulations, classes, schools, everything. And so what's happening is a lot of people, um, and they're blatant advertising, um, like to watch children for money, like a job. Um, yeah. And they know that it, you have to have a license in order to do it, but nobody is going after him. So I know of even licensed providers over 20 years that are closing their doors as far as license and just keep on doing what they're doing. Um, and so I don't really know if this pertains to what you were talking about, but it is a, you know, it's a skilled job that we, we do and we have to go to school for it and we have to keep learning and we have to, the main thing is anyone over the age of 13 that lives in a licensed home, um, and, of course, in centers, too, um, they have to have a criminal background check. But um, so my worry is that and concern for the kids is that, um, you know, everybody's just going everywhere, not really worrying about, you know, and this, about those criminal background checks, about anything. And some of these people are charging more than a center or a home that is licensed. How do they get away with that? Because because you'd think no. if a parent said, I can put my kids here unlicensed and pay more no. or I'm in not. a licensed facility and yeah. pay less, why would they why would they do that? They have sites. They have sites like on Facebook, like anybody can see them. You don't have to be a member. And so we had a meeting with the licensing a couple of weeks ago because I belong to a daycare association with Washington State. And so mm -hmm. we just didn't go there to – we just went there to have questions answered about certain wax and stuff. And so this was brought up by another – 
25 plus lady that has run a daycare and the licensing department said um well we can't really you know we don't really have the manpower but you can turn them in and then we're thinking turn them in but if you don't have the manpower then what are you going to do about it and so I and the, so other people too. Like when we see these sites that you know, and they show pictures of their house, like with um, like a space heater sitting on top of a kitchen table, and they say, oh my God. Um, "I want to watch your kids," you know. And then so I will put on very kindly because I'm a very kind person. I'll say, "It uh, it doesn't make any sense, does it?" Although I'm curious, how many of those are falling below the state minimums for licensing? Cindy, thanks for the call. Back in a moment, we're going to talk about transgender and surfing, and you're going to want to listen. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. And now, this musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, leave kids alone. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Today, I want to address the news that the World Surf League has officially made the rule that male-bodied individuals known as transgender athletes can officially compete in the women's division. This concerns me as a professional athlete that has been competing in the World Surf League events for the past 15 plus years. That is a young lady by the name of Bethany Hamilton, and she made that statement last year because she is a young lady, an actual woman a girl a woman though uh, who surfs and she is reputed to be one of the best surfers in the world uh, she also lost an arm because of a shark and she continued to compete and is very very popular so she made this statement last year why is that important today I want to tell you what's happened next, but first, I want to tell you, welcome to the show. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can also vote in our poll on X. You'll find the question, a brand new one every day, at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Now, about Bethany Hamilton. I don't know the young lady. I don't really know much about surfing at all. I know I've tried to get up on a surfboard a couple of times, and it was not a pretty sight. But she does it very, very well. So what happened to her that relates to today? 
last year when she made this statement saying that it was unfair to allow biological males to pretend that they are women and to compete as women against actual biological women. Well, she had a sponsor, and the sponsor is a big promoter of surf gear. It's called Rip Curl, and they make a lot of money. And they used Bethany Hamilton as their spokesperson until she came out and said it's not fair for biological men, different muscles, different abilities, different strength, and everything else. And after she did that, Rip Curl dumped her. And they brought on somebody else instead, a man who now goes by the name of Sasha Lowerson. Lowerson is 44 years old, a, bio, a former biological man, and now a claimed transgender woman. Well, guess what's happened to Rip Curl now? Like most of the companies that go woke, well, they're having problems, and they're getting a huge amount of pushback because they chose a biological man who's a dude in a two-piece swimsuit who says he's now a woman, and he is competing against women. And there are an awful lot of people in surfing who don't appreciate that at all. So I don't have a dog in the fight in that case, but I thought I'd tell you about that. The second issue, and then I'll get to phone calls, and that is there's a concern for an awful lot of parents out there, and I would include grandparents in that as well, that the schools are pushing the idea of transgender. And major medical centers are making this last year literally $2.2 billion on doing what they call gender-affirming care, which we've discussed before. Gender-affirming is the warm, fuzzy term for chemical castration of teenage boys and double mastectomies and trying to turn girls into boys and boys into girls. Well, I saw this great suggestion at The Federalist, and I thought it was so good. Uh, it says a recent article pointed out that soaring malpractice insurance premiums for clinics that provide puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgery to minors are becoming an obstacle to those who pr uh, profit from inflicting irreparable harm on struggling adolescents under the misleading name of gender-affirming care. We've talked about the subject any number of times on this show. We've talked about people like Dr. Blair Peters, who's uh, one of these doctors who does this kind of work admits that he does it to children for the longest time we had hospitals and medical professionals who said oh we're only doing this to adults no they're not they're doing it to kids and they're making a lot of money on it except now they're running into the insurance claims and i want you to imagine this because this article in the federalist that says this might actually save american teenagers from the kind of mutilation that these clinics have in mind because imagine this, we've already seen a number of people who were in the middle of transition. Uh, they may have even substantially transitioned. There's one young lady by the name of Chloe Cole, who's a very sympathetic case. She decided to transition to become a boy. She had a double mastectomy. She's now irreparably harmed, and she changed her mind. And she said, I don't want this anymore. And that's happening to a stunning number of teenagers who become young adults, and they say, I made a bad decision, put it back the way it was, and there's no medical way to do that. So now, can you imagine the insurance claims that are going to be filed? 
As he points out in this piece in The Federalist, insurers don't make malpractice premium decisions in a vacuum. Nations in Western Europe and Scandinavia that were once at the forefront of so-called gender transition have now severely restricted the practice for minors. In the United States, several state lawmakers have passed legislation to protect minors from irreversible life-altering procedures until they become legal adults. And some states like Arkansas have lengthened the statute of limitations on malpractice suits that relate to these practices in particular. This uh, genital mutilation, uh, chemical castration, double mastectomies. Can you imagine the lawsuits? And then imagine yourself sitting on a jury saying, I'm looking at a doctor who decided to make irreparable, irreversible changes to a teenage boy or girl. And they now say that they were harmed by that and how do you explain to a jury that those decisions were made with true informed consent by children? Doesn't make any sense. To your calls now. Let's go first to Cassandra. Hey, Cassandra, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind today? Yeah. Cassandra? Okay. She's not there, so I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll move along. Thank you very much. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our poll on X. We've been putting up that poll on X for more than a quarter century. My producers and I write a different question each and every day to make sure that we're covering the news of the day. Uh, but since I have a, a bit, let me go back to some of this uh, issue involving transgender. Because I really wonder... How many of the parents out there who are taking part in these changes, they decide it's popular. There are a lot of people talking about this subject and, and there are a lot of, there's a lot of money to be made if you go out and you do this kind of work. The estimates are that within, within just a few years, the medical profession in America, if you can still call it the medical profession, when they're doing things like this, the medical profession will clear $5 billion in just the next few years per year for doing these kinds of changes to children. And when you do them to children, I've asked all along, how in the world do you get informed consent? When you go to a 14 or a 15-year-old girl or boy and you say, we're about to give you chemicals that will change the way your body is developing and we may not be able to change it back in most cases you won't be able to change it back and that 14 or 15 year old says okay i'm i'm okay with that is that real informed consent consent when it comes to medicine has been a factor for a long long time can a person who's unconscious consent can a person who has mental impairments consent can a child consent to making changes in their body, in his or her body, uh, that may not be things you can undo. And in most cases, you can't undo them, and there may be real regret down the line. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. ask Lars if he wants to run for public office, like president. Do you know how much power I'd have to give up to be president? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails in a moment. The other day, 
I got a young lady who called me up and she said, listen, I just can't forgive Donald Trump for all that extra money that he added to our national debt. And I said to the young lady, I said, well, hold on a second. Presidents don't spend money. The Congress appropriates the money. The president can veto the budget. He can also sign the budget. But that's all he does. And I know that uh, there was a time in Trump's first two years in office when he had an all-Republican, or not all, but a majority Republican House and a majority Republican Senate. And the Republican House, under the uh, under the so-called leadership of rhino Republican Paul Ryan, handed him a budget that was about $300 billion bigger than what he had requested because even the Republicans spend too much money. So I thought we'd talk about where we sit right now and where we're headed. And Chris Edwards joins me now, who's an economic scholar at the Cato Institute. Chris, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Lars. So we're in real trouble when it comes to the national debt at $34 trillion with a $2 trillion deficit this year and apparently multi-trillion dollar deficits off into the future unless something changes. Is that fair to say? It's absolutely crazy. I mean, this year the federal government's going to spend $6.4 trillion and then raise $4.8 trillion in taxes. So you've got a massive deficit. So that's like an individual who earns forty-eight grand a year in wages, and he goes out every year and he spends sixty-four grand and puts the extra money on credit cards. I mean, and he does it year after year after year. It's obviously not going to end well. So we are headed for a giant financial crash um, at the federal level, and it's going to pull down the overall economy, something like we saw in Greece a decade or so ago. Uh, it's really, it's the most extraordinarily irresponsible situation the federal government has ever been in with its budget. The debt uh, is reaching record uh, uh, historic highs in, in, the, in the nation's over two centuries of history. It's a crazy situation. Well, and Chris, I want people to know this because a lot of them may think, well, but a lot of that debt, that's in 20 or 30 year notes. But about a third of it, isn't it about a third that rolls over every couple, three years? Oh, that's right. We've seen, in the, and because of that, we've seen just in the last couple of years with higher, you know, federal borrowing rates were around 0%, but they're up now around 4 or 5%. And the federal government interest payments have skyrocketed just in the last couple of years because of that. I mean, we're going to be spending more on interest than we are on national defense in just a few years. So that's the, the level of irresponsibility. I think I've tried to characterize it to my audience because uh, big numbers snow me. But but if you look at it this way, I think it's $69 billion a month or more than $2 billion a day is just interest on the debt. So the first $2 million the federal government collects in taxes every day from all of us goes just to pay the interest before we've funded a single thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, this is already slowing, um, economic growth. We know that by looking across other countries, countries with higher debt, their economies grow slower. Uh, it's all the cost is being pushed on young people. They're going to have to pay higher taxes to send, uh, checks to the creditors, many of whom who live abroad. And so that reduces their standard of living. Uh, and we're risking a giant financial crash. So what I've suggested in a new Cato, uh, Institute paper is look, a lot of this spending the federal government does 
K-12 school spending, housing subsidies, welfare subsidies. You know, even if you believe in government and you want to do that sort of stuff, it should be done at the state level and not the federal level. And the reason is because state governments are required to balance their budget every year, and they generally do balance their budgets every year, they're, they're forced to make trade-offs. You know, the politicians are forced to balance the taxes with the spending. The problem at the federal level is there's no limit on debt. They can keep on borrowing, and so they're just they're completely completely not disciplined and we see this year after year well in fact when you talk about spending on education I, I think some people think that the schools are paid for by the federal government the last time I checked big schools e even the big school districts get what maybe 10 percent of the money that runs the school district um, from the feds that's, and the rest right. of it comes from local and state taxes right that's right. It's mainly state and local. And in fact, a lot of the federal go government money supposedly goes to disadvantaged schools. But, you know, I had my kids in public schools in northern Virginia in one of the, the, the wealthiest counties in the nation. And it got a lot of this federal, um, you know, subsidy money for supposedly disadvantaged school districts. So it's completely ridiculous. I, I talk about in my new study how uh, Canada, for example, has no federal department of education and never has had. It's in the Constitution. The federal government does not subsidize the schools uh, north of the border and Canadian schools are much better on these international tests than U.S. schools. So the idea that the Federal Department of Education helps education is completely fallacious. So right there, what is it, $80 billion a year to Federal Department of Ed, so basically a trillion dollars in the next 10 years. We could cut that tomorrow, tell all the school districts that are currently getting 8 or 10% of their budget from the feds, tighten up your belt, just like private companies do. UPS just announced they're laying off 12,000 people. They're not doing that for fun. They're doing it because times are tight, revenue's tight. If, if you told every big school district in America, you're going to have to lose that federal money. There's a trillion dollars we could cut out of the spending of the next 10 years. And that would be Absolutely. just one Absolutely. And I'll start. give you another very similar example. Is, is, is public housing and low-income housing subsidies. The federal government spends around $60 trillion a year on that. But, I mean, public housing, that's purely a local activity. You know, I mean, near where I live in uh, Northern Virginia, there's public housing. And, frankly, that should be, if you want to do that stuff, it should be funded by cities and counties, not the federal government. There's absolutely no advantage in getting the federal government involved in all the spending stuff. And, and, and as you pointed out, uh, we, you know, the federal government can't afford it anymore. I mean, a lot of these programs are put in in Lyndon Johnson's 1960s uh, and you know but times have changed we just can't afford that stuff anymore all right any other suggestions and what else should we do to get this budget back in balance because Joe Biden and the Democrats seem to have no inclination to go that direction at all well, I'll give you another one, urban transit aid. I mean, the federal government, you know, gives subsidies to the New York, uh, you know, New York subway system and Boston subway system and these silly light rail projects across the country. It's $20 billion a year, complete waste of federal money. Uh, most of those projects don't make any sense at all. Um, and so, you know, again, that's a purely local activity. You know, if New York wants good sub sub uh, subways, good for them. They should fund them themselves. But, Chris, there's an addiction that happens because I've seen local police agencies say, well, yeah, our radios are inadequate, but we'll have to wait till we get a federal grant to buy new ones. Uh, or, you know, agencies say we have to buy some new buses, but they have to be funded by the federal government. It's as though everybody's discovered there's a big pie and they've decided, you know, we don't want to have to pay for this stuff in our local community or our state level. Uh, we'll, we'll wait till Uncle Sugar bails us out. And they've all started to jump yeah. into that. 
You're exactly right, Lars, and indeed I've looked at many examples of that where, you know, these local governments are demanding things that they should be building themselves, like, you know, they need a new fire station. And so rather than building the new fire station right away with their own money, they wait years and years and years until they can, can get their congressmen to put in an earmark in a federal bill. It makes absolutely no sense. Another example, I mean, Charleston, South Carolina, wanted to expand its seaport. You know, well, good. It's got a lot of business going through that seaport. They waited years and years and years to get the federal money rather than just doing it themselves. This is one reason why federal spending is not only, you know, we can't afford it, but it's also damaging and harmful. Yeah, because if they did it locally and they said to the businesses that benefit directly from the expansion of the seaport, we want to expand it. Okay, what's it going to cost? We're going to have to charge the people who actually use the port for the bigger, better port. And at that point, they might say, well, yeah, don't make it fancy. Just make it just the basics because they're paying the bill. But if the bill's being paid by Uncle Joe back in Washington, D.C., they say, yeah, build whatever you want. The money is no object. That's the approach. Chris Edwards is an economic scholar at the Cato Institute. Chris, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls. 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Donald Trump with a warning to Hamas at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference. If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I want to tell you about something. They have now decided in the city of Seattle that there are a whole bunch of things you're no longer allowed to throw in the trash, among them batteries. Um, and people say, well, yeah, that's right, because those batteries end up in a landfill somewhere, and they ought to be recycled. So according to the city, many electronics products, it's virtually all of them, and batteries contain heavy metals and other hazardous substances, so you can no longer throw it away in the garbage. And if you wonder, well, then what am I supposed to do with them? Well, you're going to have to pay extra uh, for a small container of household batteries or compact fluorescent lights or propane canisters, an extra five bucks. If you have a box for what they call special items like electronics, household batteries, small appliances, that's going to be 
$20. In other words, there's a brand new set of fees that you're going to have to pay, and now it's going to be illegal to throw those other things away. So just get ready for that, brace yourself, and budget for it. Let's go to Cindy in Washougal, listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Cindy, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I just, um, I'm, con I'm curious and I'm concerned that people haven't checked the law, and I apologize, it's on my computer, so I can't give you the execs, but I have given it to those fighting against transgender of children and teaching it in school and hiding it from parents, and it's against the law in both Washington State and in Oregon. Mm, okay, I... I'm not aware of any, in fact, I'd love to see laws just like what you described passed, but I'm not aware that any such laws, and it would surprise me if the Democrat-dominated legislature in Oregon or the Democrat-dominated legislature in Washington would do such a thing. And in fact, the, the, if anything, they're trying to, to mandate. In fact, there's a bill before the legislature in Washington state right now that mandates education about lgbtq the the t right right the, the, yeah, and, and so if you're aware of that law but you can't tell me where it is or what it is why don't you send me an email would you do that and i'll take a look I at will. the statute when did I that will. pass it, oh I, I don't know a long time ago but they just uh, no, passed well, this other law can, can i can i finish they just passed another law both states to make it illegal for parents to interfere and they can yes. be arrested. We've talked about, we have talked about that right. on the air. And in fact, your kids but, in Washington state can effectively be kidnapped so that they can be given what they call gender affirming care, which is really exactly. mutilation of your kids. So I'm aware of that. Was there anything else you wanted to share with us that we haven't already talked about, Cindy? No, I can just tell you what the law says. What does it say? It says that anybody who's not of the age of consent can't be approached about sexual matters, not even innuendos. It's okay, send me that statute, but I, I and I know what if that's the law that was passed a long time ago, it would have to do with with approaching kids with regard to you know in, in some cases uh, contributing to the sexual delinquency of minor and laws like that. I, I don't think those are going to apply to the transgender issues. I kind of wish they would. Let's go to Joel. Hey, Joel, welcome to hey. Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I've only been waiting for an hour and 15 minutes to tell you that the largest environmental disaster in modern history is happening on the Klamath River, which begins in Oregon and flows through California. It's You're talking about the largest. removal of the dams? Yes. And two, the silt, two have been the breached. Silt. They blew a 15-foot yeah. yeah. hole through the bottom of them. We've literally Water, been talking, Joel, we've been talking about that issue for a long time. What's new about it at this point? It's a done deal. They're going to knock those dams down. Well, I don't like okay, it. The first, the, first two, the first two dams on uh, on the Upper River End have been yep. breached. Yep. The uh, water that's flowing through the last two dams went from a uh, chocolate uh, brown color to an effluent black, blue, and green level they're Everything flushing a lot of sediment down the river yeah it's 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 it was not a good decision that they did it and unfortunately that's where it is but joel we have talked about it at length and i appreciate the call let's go to derek in oregon city hey derek welcome to the radio northwest network what's on your mind hey lars hey i um <clears throat> i'm a contractor out here in clackamas county and uh i was regarding the uh the licensing uh, we used to be able to do um, outside plumbing, 
as an excavator, but they have made us go pay $150 for a plumbing contractor's license. There's no so you have to, You're a contractor already, and you have to get a separate contractor license to do any of the plumbing, which is stuff you've been doing all along. Yes, it used to be covered under my CCB. So, so the state has figured out a new way to, to take money out of your pocket and your client's yep. pocket, too, I would guess. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, what? it's just one more thing that we have to keep track of and, and pay the state. And by the way, Derek, I know there are people out there saying, Lars, you, you want no regulation. No, I want some regulation, but I want as little as possible. And I know I'm going to hear from people who say, well, that keeps people safe. Hey, Derek, let's say you or some other contractor goes out and does an absolutely terrible job, but it gets signed off on by the inspectors, and that does happen, and then it turns out it's disastrous. It's going to cost a lot of money. Is the city or the county and the state on the hook for that, or are you? Um, I would say we are, as, you know, yep. we, we sign into the contracts, yep. so we're binded by our contract to, to do as we say we're supposed to. So the people who say, but we're, we have to do this for the safety of the people, they ignore the fact that if somebody screws up, somebody does it wrong, and you say, this guy was licensed by you, it's your job, the state, the city, and the county are going to say, no, it's not, we're the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Larson Show, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get your calls. You might have noticed that Joe Biden seems more than a little bit uh, Mr. Magoo when it comes to dealing with the problems that he himself has helped to create in the Middle East. And now, now we have three members of the United States military murdered by a terrorist attack at a place called Tower 22 in Jordan. That is the jumping off point for U.S. forces if they end up going into Syria. And what is Joe Biden doing about it? Well, not much, but he did tell reporters today that he's made a decision about what the U.S. response will be. 
He just isn't sharing it with any of us. I don't think he should share it with the bad guys either. I thought it was a perfect opportunity to talk to our friend Joe Kent, retired Special Forces warrant officer and Gold Star husband of fallen senior Navy Chief Shannon Kent, who was murdered by ISIS, just like those three service members from Georgia who died over this past weekend. He's now running for Congress, and he joins me now. Joe, welcome back. Hey, Lars. Thanks for having me on. Is Joe Biden just absolutely clueless about what's going on in the Middle East, what brought this about, and about the role he's played in helping to lay the groundwork for a lot of what's what's going wrong there? You know, it's easy to give Biden a pass as just being clueless uh, because of his age and just the way he, he comports himself. But there's no way that we, we didn't see this coming. Many of us have said that this was a tragic but inevitable conclusion if we continued to leave our forces deployed to Iraq, Syria, Jordan, very vulnerable to these Iranian-backed militias. And we just got to be clear, when, when Biden says these are Iranian-backed militias operating out of Iraq and Syria, that means those are U.S. taxpayer-funded militias controlled by Iran, but operating uh, by the Iraqi government that we directly fund. So we funded these militias that killed our service members. So our troops had already been attacked 160 times, and we took very little action. We bombed some warehouses and killed some, I guess, militia security guards south of Baghdad, but the Iranians do not respond to that. They're most certainly not going to change their calculus. So we've got to get serious, and we've got to just get our, our troops out of there. This idea that we're going to escalate the war further uh, by going to war directly with Iran, like Lindsey Graham and some of the other neocons are advocating, that, that's incredibly dangerous as well. We can hit back, but we can't hit back uh, and fight on the enemy's terms by leaving our troops in these vulnerable locations. Well, Joe, let me ask you, since you brought it up, is there a reason we have people in Jordan and have this staging point for putting forces in Syria? We're not at war in Jordan. We're not at war in Syria. We got people on the ground. And I remember Donald Trump, President Trump at the time, tried to order all of our forces out of Syria. And he had people on the ground and people within the uh, bureaucracy who said, yeah, the president said take them out, but we're not going to. And they just they just simply countermanded his orders. Do we, is there any good reason for having American service members on the ground in places like Jordan and Syria? No, there, there, there's no reason, Lars. And, and Trump attempted to get our troops out. That's actually my late wife was killed. Uh, a month after he attempted to get our troops out. And the reason why he said, hey, we're going to bring the troops out of Syria and then eventually Iraq and all these other locations was because we had met our objective. We took away all the ground that ISIS controlled. And as you pointed out, that's when the unelected bureaucrats who control a ton of uh, things in Washington, D.C., but in particular when, we when it comes to national security and defense, these unelected bureaucrats are very powerful. And they committed bureaucratic slow roll, left our troops there, and then they morphed the mission into, well, maybe ISIS will come back, but we also need to be here to counter Iranian influence or maybe even Russian influence as if we need an excuse to get into a shooting war with with Russia or Iran and so really we've left these troops here as bait waiting for uh, the Iranians to attack them and then for us to say well that that does it now we need to go and we need to broaden this war and go to war with Iran it's absolutely foolish and we get and we the American people gain nothing from it we're losing troops on the Jordanian Syrian border meanwhile our own border is wide open and American citizens are being killed by fentanyl and we're under an invasion the whole the whole scenario the whole situation is just completely Completely preposterous. Joe, are you saying that, uh, I mean, they're effectively trying to create a Gulf of Tonkin uh, kind of incident so you can say there's our predicate for the war? 
Yes, I am. I, I mean, look, I, I was over there in, in Iraq for a, a, a long time. I was there in 2017 as we were wrapping things up um, against ISIS, and all of us were reporting back to our hires that, look, this uh, monster that is the Iraqi government controlled by Iran that we've equipped, that we've given tons of technology to, this is going to come back to bite us, but it all fell on deaf ears. The bureaucratic slow roll was, was very, very heavy. Those reports wouldn't get up. When Trump attempted to make it happen from the top down, he was then thwarted. Biden comes in and he brings in the Iran, uh, the Iran deal national security team. And the next thing that you know, we've, we've got this horrible situation where we're leaving our troops exposed in this area. We can't justify what they're doing there, and now we see what the purpose is. The purpose is to, to have them be attacked and then justify, you know, a broader war that only really benefits the military-industrial complex, but then long-term it benefits China, who's in an alliance with Iran, because then we stay even more bogged down, spending more resources, uh, not against China, our, our actual foe. Between that and the bleeding of our industrial, our military industrial base in uh, the war in Ukraine, we're spread incredibly thin, and China is in a great position to take us down either economically or to make advances in the Pacific. Joe, I wanted to get your comment on this. I read this fascinating piece probably a week ago now, and they said there's been a major change in war in general, and, and the example they gave is they said, look, Prior to this year, or maybe even last month, if you wanted to run a naval blockade anywhere on planet Earth, no matter who you were, you had to have a gigantic, a good-sized navy of your own. But the Houthi terrorists managed to find a way to run a major naval blockade of a huge amount of the world's shipping, and they don't have a single boat. Yeah, that's right. With drone technology and missile technology, uh, really kind of pioneered by the, the Iranians, they've been able to do that. Now, if you remember, the Houthis weren't much of a threat. I spent some time in Yemen as well. They were a local problem. Uh, but once Iran got enough money from Joe Biden, the next thing you know, the Houthis all of a sudden are given this drone technology. They're given ballistic missile technology. And if you control those choke points, like Yemen's in a strategic location along the Red Sea, coincidentally, China's also making major inroads in, in Djibouti and the Horn of Africa, but in those, those those tight choke points, then it's it's much easier to use that relatively low technology type of gear like drones and, and ballistic missiles to have a massive strategic effect that before you would have needed an entire you know fleet and an actual standing navy. So yeah, I mean, look, anytime that we give Iran money, they're going to give their proxies uh, funds and they're going to give them training and they're going to use that to, to their strategic advantage. And that's exactly what's happening right now on the Red Sea. And by the way, Joe Biden didn't get rid of the sanctions that Trump put in on Iran. He just stopped enforcing them. And so the Iranians sell oil. And you say, but we have sanctions on that. Yeah, but they're not being enforced by Joe Biden. So he could turn them back on tomorrow if he chose to. And he could choke off the money supply to Iran. It would not only choke off the money, but it would also send a message to Iran. We're not going to let you do this kind of thing. And he's chosen not to do that. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, Joe Kent is running for the 3rd Congressional District in Washington State. Uh, Joe, we look forward to your election to Congress, and we appreciate the time. That's Joe Kent, retired Special Forces Warrant Officer and the Gold Star husband of fallen Senior Navy, Navy Chief Shannon Kent, who was murdered by ISIS. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show.
I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Some solid advice from Senator John Kennedy. Look, if you hate cops just because of cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I got to tell you something. Joe Biden seems to be doing everything wrong on purpose to deliberately damage this country. But some of the things he does just absolutely belie any kind of understanding at all. And among them, his recent decision in which he said he's going to pause all new permits for exporting liquefied natural gas. Now, you might think, well, why do I care about this? I'm going to tell you why you should and why it would make a major difference for everybody living in America, for our economy, for tax revenue, and also about how LNG makes a gigantic difference on planet Earth. We have the resources, and Joe Biden is going to simply say, we're not going to make use of them. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And if you want to jump in to what we call, and I think we live up to it, the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you'd rather send an email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our poll on X. The daily question is put up from the news of the day. Either my producers or I, we switch off on who's going to write the X poll every single day. We try to keep it as fresh as possible. You can find that at Lars Larson Show on X, what used to be called Twitter, and also on our website at LarsLarson.com. And I usually try to be as transparent as I can with you uh, about anything where I might have a bias. I have a tremendous positive bias when it comes to natural gas. Now, do I make any money from natural gas? No, I pay for it. I mean, I buy natural gas that heats my home, keeps the water hot, uh, runs the barbecue, the whole Marianne. But so I'm a fan of that kind of fuel. I'm especially a fan of it because it's a very clean fuel and America has it in gigantic abundance. And just so I could be sure, today I looked up the latest numbers. America has about 37 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. And if you say, well, how much is that? I, I didn't know either, so I had to look it up. Uh, we have, at current use rates, about 87 years worth of natural gas. Now, let me say parenthetically, when somebody hears something like that, I know inv inevitably they're going to say, but Lars, what happens when we run out of natural gas? We're not going to run out of natural gas. First of all, that's how much natural gas we know we have today. 
and we've been finding more of it, although the last three years, not as much because when Joe Biden came into office, he basically put put the kibosh to all of the uh, new leasing on federal lands, which is where they find most of that natural gas. But if you go back over the years, you'll find that uh, we didn't have uh, those kind of reserves about 20 years ago. And then along came fracking, uh, a new way of getting nat natural gas and oil out of the ground. And all of a sudden, we had reserves to beat the band. In fact, there was a point where in the units they sell natural gas in, which I think is either a million BTU or a thousand cubic feet, whatever it happens to be, the unit they sold it in was 15 bucks a unit. And because they found so much of it, it dropped down to about three or four dollars a unit. So imagine anything you have to buy, gasoline, apples, loaves of bread, whatever it is, if it drops in price to, to that tiny fraction, about 20% of what it used to cost, you know that we've got a lot of it. So we have a lot of natural gas. Should we be selling it to the rest of the world? Absolutely. Because I know there are going to be people who say, but, but Lars, if we sell that natural gas, we won't have enough for ourselves. Yeah, about 80 or 90 years from now, and who knows? I mean, if you go back to the late 1800s, you would find people saying, why, we have to have whale oil because whale oil is absolutely essential to America. We use it for lighting. We use it for uh, cooking. We use it for a bunch of things. Um, and there was a point where heating with coal was a bigger deal. Today, it's mostly used to generate electricity, although the Greens are trying to do away with that. But consider what the White House has done. Joe Biden has ordered, we're going to pause all new permits for exports of liquefied natural gas. This is where they take the gas. When it comes to your house, it usually comes in at, I think, about 20 pounds of pressure, uh, maybe 30 pounds of pressure. When they liquefy, when they crunch it all the way down, they can put it into these giant ships and take it uh, a lot of different places. In fact, we today supply an awful lot of natural gas to Western Europe. And what does that push back against? It means that when Vladimir Putin says to Western Europe, by the way, you uh, you are dependent on me, Western Europe. Do what I tell you to do. Otherwise, I might just cut off your natural gas. Well, last year, American exports of natural gas were just about 12 billion cubic feet. And about two-thirds of that went to Western Europe. So if we increase the amount of natural gas coming out of America... What would that do for America, and what would it do for Western Europe, and what would it do for the United States diplomatically? If we said, we're a friendly, westernized country, we'd be happy to sell you LNG. And, say, Putin of Russia says, I'm a kind of a not-so-friendly guy from Russia. Uh, I demand that you buy my natural gas instead. If Western Europe and other customers could say, yeah, we're getting plenty from America, we don't need to buy from you, no matter how you feel about Putin, plus, minus, or otherwise, you'd say, well, then they have a choice. They can buy from Putin when they choose to, but he can't exactly threaten them by threatening to cut it off. So what does it do when Joe Biden says, I'm going to pause new permits for exports of natural gas when we're already making a lot of money by exporting what we're exporting now, and we could be making a lot more? What happens immediately? If you allowed leasing of federal lands, 
That puts money in the U.S. Treasury. And 15% of every single discovery of natural gas or oil on federal land gets paid to the U.S. Treasury. So the U.S. government gets more money without having to take it out of the pockets of individual citizens. That's advantage one. Number two, what do the oil and natural gas fields provide for Americans? They provide tremendous jobs, especially blue-collar jobs, but blue-collar jobs that pay very, very well. And if we became the world's go-to when it came to drilling equipment, drilling expertise, punching holes in the ground, finding the energy that not just America but the rest of the world needs, wouldn't it be great if everybody said, well, if you're drilling for natural gas, you ought to go to the United States. They know how to get it done. They do it in a, in a clean and sensible way. And what is the other advantage? For all of those of you who are concerned about CO2 in the air, I'm not one of those, but if that's what floats your boat, here's what natural gas does. When a company, especially industrial use of natural gas, replaces oil or other forms of energy, what it's done for the United States in the last 20 years, it has dramatically reduced the CO2 output of all of America. Now, a lot of us think, well, there, there's a thinking, uh, conventional wisdom that, well, most of it's coming out of the tailpipe of my car. No, an awful lot of the CO2 that goes into the air, which is plant food in my view, is coming from industrial uses. If you go from oil to natural gas, the amount of carbon goes down by half. So it's a clean fuel. It's available. America has lots and lots of it, enough to last the better part of a century. And when we drill for it, People make money. The government makes money. And America is better off. When we don't, and, and then building the export facilities, the ports, the specialized ports it takes to accommodate those ships, all of that is good for America, good for freedom, good for individual citizens, and bad for the bad guys on the planet. Back in just a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Another strong take from President Biden on AI and the weather. Helping web tech, the web, the web telescope. My God, what is this? This is the Lars Larson Show. Because what Trump... We're going to put you right to the head of the line, and we'll do that. I want to play this one soundbite, though, from Joe Biden, because I want, to, I want to show you just how much this guy has changed his tune. If you go back to the middle of 2020, so in 2020, he was running for election in November. Now, they cheated in the election. That's a subject for another day. But Joe Biden was trying to warn America why, if you elect this Donald Trump guy, that he's going to get us into a war. Take a listen to what Joe Biden actually said summer uh, or early fall of 2020. The world has changed because what Trump has done. And the American people, including independents and some Republicans, know how bad he is, know how much he's misrepresented, know how he's getting close to getting us in a war. I said, as the walls close in on this man, I'm worried he's going to get us to war in Iran. Unfortunately, I may have been right. 
The fact of the matter is there's a lot at stake in this election. Now, hold on a second. This is Joe Biden warning us. This Donald Trump guy, he's going to get us into a war with Iran. Well, Donald Trump got us out of conflicts. And now it looks like it may be Joe Biden that gets us into a war with Iran. And I thought I'd test that notion with Adam Weinstein from the Quincy Institute. Adam, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So the uh, drone attacks uh, that happened uh, uh, over the weekend, and we learned of the deaths of three service members in Jordan at a base called Tower 22. And then Joe Biden apparently has said earlier today that he, he has a response that he's prepared uh, to what was done by Iran and Iran's proxies. Is this going to become the precursor to a war with Iran? Well, I certainly hope not. That's that's up to the Biden administration. Uh, the group that conducted the attack has claimed that it's going to suspend attacks uh, against uh, U.S. troops. It may be too little too late. I'm sure that Biden... Uh, feels under pressure to respond in some way, but I, I, I think it's going to depend how much, you know, how what kind of use of force he, he uses. Why would that group announce it's going to suspend attacks? That, does that seem characteristic of a typical terrorist organization to schedule their attack? Oh, now that we've killed some Americans, wounded, badly wounded, a couple of dozen Americans at that base in Jordan, they then announce, well, now we're not going to do any for a while. Uh, well, you know, they are a terrorist group, but they're not as uh, extreme as ISIS, as an example. So it doesn't completely surprise me that they're walking it back. I think either they were pressured by Iran to make that statement, or perhaps they, you know, now they, they realize that they went too far and they're trying to protect themselves. Uh, but it's probably too little too late. But but it doesn't surprise me that they're trying to walk it back. I, I think that the group understands that killing three Americans inside Jordan was, was probably a, a, a step too far. Yeah, so so they were only planning to wound people. I mean, you know, you fly, an, well, I guess it was an explosive drone because they had three of the drones. One of them managed to hit a housing location where a lot of these people were bunked up. And uh, and they killed three, and they, they, they did enough damage to five of them. They had to be airlifted out to Germany just to give people an idea of the scope of this. And there were a couple of dozen others who were wounded, but they stayed uh, stayed in Jordan rather than being uh, air-evacked out to, to Germany. So what do you suppose they were trying to do if they weren't trying to kill Americans? Uh, well, they, they might have very well been trying to kill Americans, but now have buyer's remorse. Or perhaps they thought, well, we're going to fly a drone into the space and not kill anyone, which, you know, there's been numerous attacks that haven't killed anyone, but they can still say they conducted an attack. I suspect in this attack, given that it was a drone, uh, that they did intend to kill Americans, but maybe they have a bit of buyer's remorse right now. Uh, and at this, sorry. No, that's all. That's all. At this point, we've got 165 or 166 attacks on U.S. military facilities in Iraq and Syria and now in Jordan. What is the right response for, for Joe Biden? Well, that's a, that's a really tough situation. I mean, I, I think Joe Biden is going to feel some pressure to retaliate on these militias, but it would be a, a mistake for Americans uh, to, to retaliate to such a good degree that we get dragged into a war with Iran. I think that would be I agree. a huge mistake. So, so what I'm saying is, in some sense, I don't care what the right decision for Joe Biden is. The right decision for the United States is not to act in a, in a manner that gets us dragged into a bigger war where, where more Americans die, which, which is why for a long time I've suggested we shouldn't have forward-deployed troops in Syria and Iraq. 
because they're a tripwire for greater conflict. They're sitting ducks. Are they serving some kind of purpose? Yes. Uh, is it worth the risk to their lives and, and to the security of the United States? I don't think so. I agree with you about everything you just said. That's Adam Weinstein from the Quincy Institute. So is it fair to also say that, that some of this, well, uh, maybe the majority of it, is because Joe Biden decided to unfreeze $6 billion in assets for Iran and decided not to uh, not to continue to enforce the sanctions against Iran, which I understand the economists have estimated the positive benefit to Iran was about $50 billion. And right after he did that, or soon after he did that, Iran began funding a lot of other terrorist activities, including this attack, it seems, and including perhaps even the attack by Hamas in Israel on October 7th. So America is, is funding or allowing to be funded terrorist activities that are now hitting our own people. Look, I, I have to be honest with you, uh, Lars. I was a, a supporter of the Iran nuclear deal, so I don't think that's the primary <laughs> cause. I think Iran had money to, to give terrorist organizations regardless. I do know, I do recognize that if there's more money, uh, there's, there's potentially more funds for those activities. But I was a supporter of the deal for the, for the simple reason that I think it would have given us more leverage over Iran. Uh, but the bottom line for me is, these groups can't really reach Americans unless we send Americans over there to be reached to begin with. These are not sophisticated militias. Yes, they have drones. They're not extremely sophisticated drones. The only reason they're able to kill Americans is because we're delivering young Americans right to them by deploying them to Iraq, Syria, or along the border of Syria and Jordan. These groups couldn't reach Americans otherwise. So we're playing into their hands. That's my view. Okay, and Adam, you know, you probably sense, and I know from our prior conversations, I'm not a fan of the Iran, the JCPOA, as they call it, the Iran nuclear deal. I don't think it did any good, and Joe Biden has been chasing that thing since the beginning of his presidency with no response from Iran, except they keep making demands and he keeps caving in on things without getting anything for it. So I'm not crazy about that, and I'm a little suspicious of the argument that says, they're only attacking us because we're here is kind of like saying that young lady was only assaulted in the park because she chose to go into the park. Are we in places well, we're no. not legally allowed to be? I didn't. Well, that's another story. I didn't say they're only attacking us because we're there. I said they're able to attack us. Because able we're to. There. Yeah. Now, look, I'm not excusing Iran. Its behavior is insidious and outrageous, and I'm, I'm not going to defend the Iranian regime. The point, though, is does it make sense for us to be there? Yes, in a, in a perfect world, we should be able to have troops there to fight ISIS without being harassed by Iranian-backed militias in a perfect world. But that's not the world we live in. Uh, and so does it really make sense for us to be there? I would say no. If you want to talk about the fact that the, that the Iranian regime uh, is, is in many ways an insidious regime, well, we could talk about that for the next five hours. And I'm, yeah. I'm there with you. Uh, but, what, the, you know, for me, it's what makes sense for U.S. troops, and it doesn't make sense for them to be there anymore. The ISIS threat is largely eliminated, not completely eliminated, but largely eliminated to the point where it doesn't make sense for us to be there indefinitely. I guess I just wonder that when we project weakness, well, we're up against the break. Adam, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. That's Adam Weinstein, who's with the Quincy Institute. We'll be back. I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. 
With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Upcoming American elections promise some provocative politics, but be forewarned, the green agenda may lead to some extreme rhetoric. I get pumper! So prepare yourself by listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday. Glad to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network, serving the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, through our 26-station network, and we've been doing that for the last 24 years. Should we drop citizenship requirements for professional licenses? That's our poll on X. You can find the question on X, at Lars Larson Show. And it has to do with a rather dim idea from a Democrat from Kirkland, Washington, Amy Way who says she doesn't think it's fair that people who are illegally in America who don't have social security numbers aren't able to get licenses and the example she gave are things like nursing licenses and other professional licenses that actually require that you be legally in the country maybe she's ignoring the fact that if you're illegally in the country you're not allowed to work at a job for pay in any case but she is now proposing a bill that would change that and allow illegal aliens to get professional licenses. She's not offering any kind of relief for actual citizens who are seeking those same kinds of licenses. Things like a haircutting license, a beautician license, uh, nails, uh, cosmetics, uh, being a doctor, being a nurse, being other things. But she does want to give a break for illegal aliens. This Amy Whalen of Kirkland seems to come up with some of the dumbest ideas that are in the Washington State Legislature. But having said that, we've invited her to be on the program. Should we drop the citizenship requirement for professional licenses? I'd say no to that. Uh, I'd say no, absolutely. I'm curious how many people would say yes. But we love naysayers on the program. So if you want to join us, it's 866-439-5277. Straight to the front of the line. If you happen to be a naysayer, send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And our poll on X is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to uh, Chief, who's listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KPNW. Hey, Chief, what's on your mind today? Hey, Lars. I just We've been talking a lot about Iran, so I just kind of wanted to give a different perspective. Um, I am a former Marine that served in Desert Storm. Thank um, you. And i got to say that 
I think every thank you. I think everything that we have been doing for the last thirty years and maybe even longer back into the seventies has always been about going to war with Iran. I think we know what their hostilities are, the way that they feel about the Jewish nation. Um and I think our agenda has always been to kind of trickle these other little small conflicts just to get enough boots on the ground, enough airstrips, enough presence. Uh, so that when the time comes that we're able to actually deal with Iran in a full-scale war. Well, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. And, Chief, uh, when I was talking to uh, the gentleman from uh, Adam from uh, Quincy, listen, you're right. I mean, if you go back to the original hostages taken uh, in 79 in, in Iran, when the uh, the crazy mullahs took over from the Shah of Iran and ran the place, you know, ran the streets red with blood, they've been on the war path for the United States ever since. And believe me, we're in the same boat as Israel, because almost every week, the leadership of that country vows death to America, death to Israel, or as they call it, the Saturday people and the Sunday people. Uh, and, and they've, they've been shouting that. So anytime I think the leaders of a foreign country, uh, vow to kill the United States of America and the people within it, I think we should take them seriously, right? Absolutely. And, and we, we don't talk about, but we know the second that Iran actually does get nuclear capability, there is nothing preventing them from, from nuking Israel. That has always been their agenda. They will never have their proper jihad. They'll never have peace on their land. Their, their 12th imam will never come back until they wipe Israel off the map. And yep. they're, it's, you know, it's, it's not just cultural. It's, it's a true belief of their, of their inner spirit. Yeah, it is, because, Chief, what you just referred to, and we've been talking about this on the show literally for decades, the 12th imam is the return of the Mahdi, is what they call it. And their belief is that the return of the Mahdi will be brought about by a chaotic uh, uh, situation that they could create. So you won't find a Christian out there who says, hey, if we create enough chaos, Jesus will return. You you say, but the, but the Muslims in Iran do believe that. They believe that creating a chaotic, warlike situation might just bring about the return of the Mahdi, the 12th Imam, and that this is baked into their entire culture. Probably not the younger people, but certainly at least the crazy mullahs that run the place there. So... But I saw nothing wrong with saying, why don't you stick with the sanctions that Trump put in place on Iran? They were starved down to almost nothing. I mean, at one point I was talking to a, a foreign policy guy, um, and I said, where were they, you know, as a nation at the, at the point where Trump left office? And he said they were down to where they had, I think they had seven or eight billion dollars in deposits in their banks. I mean, for a country, they were running on fumes. They were like the guy who finds himself with his checkbook and he's got ten dollars left in the checkbook at the end of the month. They were at that position. So they, they were at least you know, open to, you know, to trying to, to, to make some changes if we demanded them. And what did Joe do? He refunded them. Lars Obama did the exact same thing. Every time we make headway with trying to crush out this this enemy's resources, another president comes in from the Democratic Party and undoes everything and gives them trillions of dollars. Uh, it's it, it's almost as if there's a an inside agenda, like Abraham Lincoln said, "We'll never be taken down from external forces. It'll only come from the inside." Um, and that's exactly what seems to happen. Uh, every single time we push back on them, we get a Democratic Party that gets in there and gives them a little bit more leeway and a little closer to the nuclear bomb that they need so desperately to wipe out Israel. Chief, I appreciate your service in the Marines. And by the way, to your point, 
Look where we were, look where we are. Summer of 2020, Joe Biden is warning that Donald Trump will take us to war with Iran. We're as close to war with Iran as we've ever been in history. Joe Biden himself says we were close to nuclear Armageddon because of his mis mistakes in uh, Ukraine. And now he's got possibly the a civil war. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.